Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, uh, they are on a winning streak. Yeah, this is um, this is uncharted territory for uh, 2020 Penn State Athletics. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, though, no, that, that is, that I guess that's technically basketball. incorrect. It's basketball won two in a row. Yeah, there we go. I'm, well, there are three sports right now, and uh, two of them are on two-game winning streaks. We just need a... Uh, we just need Penn State hockey to pick up the slack. But as uh, as you mentioned, Penn State football over the weekend picked up its second win of the season, a 23-7 to victory over Rutgers in New Jersey. Uh, we want to apologize for not having a preview podcast. I uh, got lost in a couple of other things we had going on uh, personally and professionally, but... Uh, you know, we all we would have done is just laugh the entire time because it's Rutgers. So, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, Penn State, like I mentioned, twenty three to seven over Rutgers. Um, to me, there were two stories of the game. It was how dominant Penn State's defense was, and um, so let's say uh, curious decisions uh, to really run the football, uh, especially with the Nittany Lion quarterbacks. We're going to get in to all of those things. But Matt, I mean, in general, I'm, I'm feeling really good right now. Even if, even if I probably wanted this to be a little more comfortable of a win. Yeah, I think, um, and we'll talk about it as we always do as we dig into the things a little bit more, but, um, no, I thought kind of, this is kind of two games in a row now where, both the offensive and defensive lines have really just taken over the, the ball game for for long, long stretches. It wasn't you know a start to finish deal, but um, you know the the first thirty minutes on the first half of the game, um, or we'll say the first twenty eight minutes, I guess, because we'll start talking about the what kind of started in the last two minutes of the first half and continued for the rest of the game um, is by far the best you know half of football Penn State's played to this point on you know on, in all three phases really. Um, and it, and it starts up front. This is you know two games in a row now, where the offensive line has really, especially in in run blocking, has really done an outstanding job of of opening holes for whoever is running it, um, whether it be one of the backs, um, one of the quarterbacks, um, and they've done a, an exceptional job really protecting um, the, the, the passer too on the odd chance that Penn State has thrown the ball, which they really didn't do a whole lot against Rutgers. And then, um, like you said, Bill, the defense really just dominated for you know for much of the game, and I think it was a big reason why the offense looked the way it did in, in a lot of ways. Um, and again, it starts up front. You know, the Shaka Tony and Jason Owe were just monsters off the end. Um, I think Antonio Shelton probably had his best overall game um, at Penn State at tackle. Uh, PJ Mustafer um, was was real noticeable. Deez Isaac was real noticeable. Um, Brendan Smith, I thought, was the most noticeable in, in a positive way that he's been um, since he's been at Penn State. Joey Porter Jr. just continuing to get better and better, uh, winning Big Ten Freshman of the Week with the seven tackles and um, the couple times the ball came his way in the past game, he was really, really effective. Um, no, really, just a, a really good, solid all-around team win in, in just about every phase of the game. Yeah, I, it was. Th- there are th- certainly things that we can uh, quibble with, and we will mention. What I think is kind of the elephant in the room uh, insofar as Penn State's play calling and its over-reliance on one thing in particular. But like Matt mentioned, 
Uh, this was Penn State's defense's best performance of the season, allowed 205 yards total offense, 122 passing, 83 rushing, uh, only forced one turnover, which, uh, did surprise me a little bit, but neither here nor there, Rutgers, 12 first downs, three for 15 on third down, went one for four, uh, on fourth downs, uh, pulling up the box score and Penn State had two sacks, one by Devon Ellis, uh, just breaking into the backfield, pushing some dudes around, and uh, taking down Noah Vedral and Daquan Hardy with just wonderful, wonderfully designed blitz uh, by Brent Pry. But for on the whole, Matt, and I do, th- I do think we have to acknowledge that a big part of this was the fact. Um, that Rutgers wasn't exactly, uh, you know, that Penn State wasn't playing against the kind of offense that uh, I ever felt threatened by. It felt to me, at least on that side of the ball, Rutgers' plan was, uh, you know, just don't get embarrassed, more or less. They weren't exactly pushing the ball down the field. Uh, They weren't exactly running it with all that much authority. Their only touchdown came on. um, How do I put this delicately? It came on what I can only describe uh, as a Hail Mary from the three-yard line, Um, which is very, very weird. Uh, But on the whole, Penn State can only be asked to do what is in front of it. And I thought that this week... All three levels of the defense, again, for really the first time this season, seem to be clicking. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, this is certainly, it's not the Ohio State offense by any means or the Indiana offense, you know, probably the two best units they've faced this season. But, um, you know, Rutgers' lowest point per ga- point in a game this year was uh, 20 at Illinois. Um, they scored 38 in a win against Michigan State. They scored 21 against Indiana. They put up 27 um, in Columbus on in a game that was really out of hand early. Um, they put up uh, 42 in that overtime game against Michigan, and they beat Purdue 37-30 um, uh, last week. So this is an offense that, well, it um, has relied on you know field position, um, getting the ball via turnovers from their defense, um, probably some trick plays, that sort of thing. Um, they've still been able to put the ball in the end zone. And, you know, really, like I said, in the first half, the best that Penn State's played this year, they um, held Rutgers to, I think, something like 43 total yards. Um, they just, you know, completely dominated the game. And I think 40, you know, about half of those yards came on two plays on the first drive of the game. Um, it just was really a, a dominant performance. And I think, um, as I've kind of alluded to the couple of things I've already said, I think as the game went on, I think Penn State got a little bit more conservative overall because of... Um, you know, what they had shown they were doing, they, both offensively and defensively, the way that Rutgers was getting back into this game is that Penn State let them back in. I don't think Rutgers hadn't shown anything that was mm-hmm. going to, you know, they weren't they weren't throwing the ball down the field. They weren't going to break that big play to get, get seven points back in, a, in, in 30 seconds, nothing like that. So I think, you know, the, the second half, they moved the ball a little bit more, but I think Penn State was more than, more than okay with letting them do that just because, um, it didn't feel like they were going to put up 17 points. Um, and then, you know, really, I think it was 20 nothing early in the second half. So it was a three-touchdown game very early in the second half. And I don't think at any point it felt like Rutgers was in any danger of, of getting anywhere close to that, regardless of what Penn State's offense did the rest of the way. 
Yeah, I, I just looked it up, and Rutgers' drive chart in the first half, uh, seven plays, turnover on downs, three and out, punt, six plays, uh, turnover on downs, punt, three and out, punt, three and out, punt, three and out, punt. And, you know, I think it's important to mention, both of those uh, turnovers on downs were uh, fourth and one at the Rutgers 45 and fourth and one at the Rutgers 45. So Penn State uh, came up big in a pair of short yardage situations, uh, got the ball back in favorable positions, and in something that you know, has been a bit of an issue for Penn State this year. They got the ball back on those turnovers. First one uh, ended up getting tur- Penn State, then turned it into a touchdown. Uh, Sean Clifford finding Parker Washington for a 29-yard score and what I thought was probably Clifford's best throw of the season. Uh, did it again. Penn State gets the ball other side of the on the 45-yard line, second quarter, uh, run, 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 pass to Isaac Lutz to get it down to the five-yard line, run, run. So Penn State was able to, you know, when you look at turnover numbers uh, in the box score, it's never including turnovers on downs. It's always interceptions. It's always fumbles. But Penn State was able to, for all intents and purposes, get an additional 14 points uh, off of those two turnovers. And... The other Rutgers turnover was a fumble uh, at the very start of the third quarter, uh, which Penn State was able to get into turn into a field goal. So uh, you could be there. There is certainly an air of pessimism to that, where Penn State was only able to score on drives that started in Rutgers territory. But on the flip side of that, defense was able to come up big, uh, do their job on those possessions, uh, and it turned directly in to 17 points for the Nittany Lion offense. Uh, again, not the, um, you know, not the kind of effort that we're going to be uh, telling future generations of Nittany Lions about, but I thought that, like you mentioned, Matt, Joey Porter Jr. had one hell of a football game. Uh, I thought up front Penn State, Penn State really pushed Rutgers around, which was something that we haven't always seen them do do this year, uh, but without uh, Hakeem Beeman, uh, if you told me Hakeem Beeman wasn't going to be in there, even with Rutgers' well-documented issues along the offensive line, I did not think they would be able to get the front push that they did up front, and as a result, Jesse Lukita had a whole bunch of chances to tackle dudes, uh, Ellis Brooks, Joey Porter Jr., uh, Jaquan Brisker, Lamont Wade, Jonathan Sutherland, like those were Penn State's top tacklers on the day. The guys up front were able to do their jobs, and the guys behind them had a much easier time because of it. And that's kind, you know, that's always going to be the philosophy of what Brent Pry wants to do on defense. That and bringing a whole lot of pressure in a whole bunch of places. It really was Matt. Again, like I, I've said this a few times, but this was the first time this year. You know, Brent Pry. Uh, if you were to ask any Penn State fan at any point. Even after these last couple of games, what do you? What is one big thing you think Penn State is going to do after the season? Everyone will specu- give the exact same amount piece of speculation. Brent Pry gets fired; they bring someone new in. Whether or not that happens, God knows. But that just is kind of the vibe that I am getting that the fan base wants. Back to back weeks, you know, not exactly going up against uh, Ohio State's offense, but a really good performance against Michigan, a really good performance against Rutgers. It feels like Penn State's defense has turned a corner. Oh, absolutely. And I think um, I think I mentioned it during after the Michigan game last week. And 
that this is that was the first time in a while where it didn't matter who the quarterback was, it didn't matter who the receivers were, didn't matter what the offensive philosophy was. It felt like the first time that Penn State was able to control the passing game. And I think that's a combination of, of a bunch of things. You know, getting pressure on the quarterback, coverage downfield, you know, all, all three levels of the defense doing their jobs. And again, you know, this is, you know, not the the you know, the, 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 even the Memphis offense from the bowl game. Um, this is not, you know, a world-beating offense that they faced again. And they're really not going to face one, um, you know, against Michigan State this coming weekend. And who knows what that, that plus one week will show. But they have shown for the first time in at least a year, if not longer, that they can shut down passing games that they should be shutting down. Now the next step is obviously shutting down passing games that have a little bit more talent um, at receiver and at quarterback. But um, you know, you, you go back and look at, at the 2019 season and the number of, wait, who's this? How many yards did he throw on Penn State for? Um, for the first time in a while, that hasn't really been the case with um, with the defense the last couple weeks. Um, and I think, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Jaquan Brisker because I think both of us have really harped on the the fall in quality safety play that Penn State's had over the last year or so. Um, I thought Brisker played really exceptionally well, especially in run support. Um, but I think those guys too, both he and Lamont Wade, Jonathan Sutherland, um, all those guys playing in, in the backfield, you're not seeing them be exposed in the passing game either, um, which I think is a testament to what they've, they've started to figure out in the back end too. Um, so it's, you know, I, I'm looking at our, our outline here and the question, the big question was the defense, why was it really good? And I think, you know, all 11 guys, pretty much every snap did their jobs. Um, you know, there were still tackling issues, and I think we're going to see that. I mentioned it before. You watch enough football this year, you're seeing it all over the place because of how teams have had to practice. Um, but I thought they tackled much better. Um, you know, missed tackles notwithstanding, I thought they were much more consistent um, from the for the most part for throughout the game there. Um, you know, they got they when they were able to to make big plays um, the second straight week, they were able to get off the field on third and fourth and short. Um, again, something they, they struggled with um, up to that point. Um, it, it feels like they've figured some things out and not to belabor the point it's they've done it against, against offenses that they should be doing it against, but they're, they're still doing what they should be doing, which I think um, in and of itself is a huge step forward. Yeah. And you know, I'm looking at uh, the snap counts, Penn state went basically too deep at every position. They got a couple of uh, extra dudes snaps at the very end of the game along the defensive line, but you know, it, it, it was just a really solid, really respectable performance by Penn State's defense, and it was something that I think, now that they've put two in a row together, you know, Matt, it's something that we've talked about basically, you know, we talked about it for the first five weeks of the year. This is a team that really, really needed a non-conference slate. This is a team that really, really needed to figure things out against a couple of minnows. Um Instead, they lose to what we've come to learn is an outstanding Indiana team. Uh, they end up losing to Ohio State. Uh, they definitely look a bit shell shocked and lose, uh, you know, a, an absolutely stunning game to Maryland. Barely lose to Nebraska, uh, and then lose to a good Iowa team. That's five losses in a row 
to start the season. Everyone has a bad taste in their mouth. These last two wins aren't quite as sweet, uh, which is funny because uh, they were wins at Michigan and at Rutgers. So if you think, so we had fun, but obviously not as much fun as I think. But we're starting to see the team kind of coalesce and turn into, uh, at least on the defensive side of the football, I think what a lot of us expected them to be. And it's unfortunate that it took five weeks for that to happen. Um, it's unfortunate that, uh, it led to such a, you know, such an existential crisis for so many football fans. Uh, it seemed like there were a bunch of issues that the team faced. A lot of narratives popped up, those sorts of things. But on the defensive side of the ball, we've seen guys take steps forward throughout the year, um, you know, I look at a guy like PJ Mustafer, who he's a really, really good player. I look at the uh, linebackers. Brandon Smith is growing more comfortable. They're trusting Lance Dixon to play more. In the secondary, you know, Wade and Brisker, you kind of you throw them out, basically. And Joey Porter Jr., Marquise Wilson, Keaton Ellis, Daquan Hardy, Jonathan Sutherland, Jair Brown, they're guys that are playing more and making more positive impacts as the season goes along. You can't help but wonder... But we're here and uh, we're happy about it. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, you have Penn State's offense, which I want to break down the rushing game into two things because I think there are two big factors. It's almost like they're two separate rushing games altogether. The first one is what happens when they give the ball to a running back, and that is really, really, really good. Uh, Penn State's running backs in this game. Kayvon Lee, 17 carries, 95 yards, 5.6 yards per carry. Devin Ford, 11.65, 5.9 yards per carry. And a touchdown, because uh, I Holmes got a couple in there. But it was really uh, Lee and Ford uh, that did the lion's share of the work. Looking at snap counts, Lee had 32 snaps, Ford 30, Holmes 3. When I watch them run the football, Matt, I like things just make sense for this team when those running backs have the ball. And you cannot help, cannot help but agonize over what if Journey Brown is here? What if Noah Kane is here? But when you just look at what Penn State has, I thought that Ford looked as good as he had all season. You know, he didn't break any particularly big ones. Longest one was 14 yards. But as steady and reliable as he has all season. And Lee is just a battering gram again. Even if it was against a Rutgers defense that you can be a battering gram against. Yeah, I think um, I think you're seeing the maturation of, of both those guys. Um, I think Lee's been pretty consistent since the start of the year. I think they've, you know, like I've talked about a thousand times, they wanted to bring him along at the appropriate speed and make sure they weren't giving him too much too soon. Um, their hand has kind of been forced now with the injury. Um, and then Devin Ford missing the Michigan game with the, the unfortunate passing of his brother. Um, but I think you've seen with him just getting a little level of comfort with, with the college game. And I think with Ford, you're seeing his his maturation as a running back come, you know, I think you go back to the Indiana game when he was forced into action really early on um, after Noah Kane went out on that first series with, um, with his season. ending, I think it's a foot injury. Um, he's a different running back. Now he's more patient. He's, he's more patient when he needs to be. He's more decisive when he needs to be. I think when you go back to the Indiana game, I think you saw a guy who was very indecisive 
and was trying to break that big play every time he got the ball instead of, you know, sometimes, you know, the four or five yard, you know, carry is, is the right play. Um, it's, you know, and you've seen it as he's gotten more and more experience. And I think too, you, you're seeing a team adjust to a, a new offensive line blocking scheme. We've talked a little bit about it with, with m- moving to more of a zone blocking uh, strategy as opposed to um, what they were running under Matt Limegrover. And that, that's an adjustment for not only the line, but the guys running behind it too. You know, how do you pick your hole? Um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I'll even go one step further. And I, we're going to talk about this here in just a second. I think, um, they've been pretty effective with the typical Will Levis package. I think um, in, in that that short yardage situation, which I think is what the what I'm thinking of the Will Levis package. You know, they're, they're not trying to get ten yards; they're trying to pick up you know second, third, fourth, and short. Um, and I think since they saw those early struggles, they've been able to do that. Part of that is the offensive line. Part of that is is Levis, but. Um, I think they've kind of figured out that portion of the running game. And then to, uh, to help you with the segue here into the next topic, I think, I, I don't know what the logic is be- behind rotating Levis and more just kind of in a, in a all situations kind of setup. Um, it was certainly effective for big chunks of the game. And I think later in the game, when, um, when Lee went out with that little, um, looked like a pretty minor injury. And I think they, um, had benched Ford after the fumble there um, late in the first half. He didn't really, I don't know if he had another carry after that. Um, I think they kind of went to Levis as their second running back, almost in a sense. Um, but I, I think the running game as a whole is, is growing. I think it's, they're still trying to figure out how to use these pieces and be effective and keep guys involved. Um, and that's a whole different argument, but you, you look at where they were six weeks ago, seven weeks ago now, I guess. They've figured out quite a bit, um, especially when you consider that they're down to their fourth running back. I agree. And uh, only things that I'd add are, one, you know, with all the personal turmoil, obviously it was really, really good uh, seeing that you know, seeing Devin Ford go out there and look as confident, look as uh, elusive, look as, you know, look like everything that I think we've kind of come to expect out of Devin Ford. Uh, really good week for him. And then Lee, God, six foot two thirty, dude's a bull. Like, you do not have running backs who are, you know, from that young of an age are just that powerful. And from the time that, like, we're spoiled. Penn State fans are spoiled. They've had two of those in a row. Uh, two true fresh, freshman running backs in a row in him and Noah Kane, who you give them the football, they're just going to lay the wood, man. They're going to, they are going to make sure that, yeah, you're going to tackle them, but tackling them is going to be really, really, really unpleasant of an experience. I can't wait to see how he continues to grow. Um, moving to the other thing that I think Penn State fans are going to uh, end up wanting to talk about, hear us talk about, and that is the quarterbacks and having them run the ball. Will Levis, 17 carries, 65 yards, uh, 3.8 yards per carry, no scores. Sean Clifford, 8, 21. 
2.6 yards per carry. Um, I want to kind of lump together the quarterback runs and the general quarterback rotation, Matt. Uh, Sean Clifford, I was actually surprised when I saw this number. Clifford, 62 of Penn State's 79 snaps. He was quarterback. Will Levis was 17. Uh, now, obviously... You're going to hear me say that number and go, wait a minute, Will Levis played 17 snaps and he carried the ball 17 times. Um, that's wild, um, I'd say. Uh, I th- I'll, I'll give my thoughts on this in a second, but I'm interested in your thoughts because I think my guess is you're going to say that you, be- like you mentioned, that when this the Levis package is doing what it needs to do. It's good. It's just when they start falling a little too in love with it, they run into issues. Is that a fair read on it? I think so. Yeah. And I think from my perspective, at least you you have to look at Levis as almost two different setups. One is he's in there on first and 10 second and eight, you know, whatever. And then you have him in there on those short yardage situations. Um, I'm, whether whether you like it or not, I'm a I'm a fan of that short yardage package. I think when it's run well, as they've kind of figured out how to do, it's you know, y- your goal is to get you know a couple yards. Your goal is to keep the sticks moving, and they've been really really effective doing that. Um, now they've kind of gotten their feet under them. It's not 100, percent but um, I'd, I'd wager it's over 90 percent effective at, at doing what they wanted to do in those situations. What I struggle with is throwing it out there when you're telegraphing what you're going to do on, on a, on a first and 10. Um, I think you're, we saw it really from the whole, from the start of the game, Bill, you commented on this during, during the game on this, our slack about how aggressive Rutgers was with at least one of their safeties. if not both of them crashing the line to, to stop the run. And Penn state didn't really do a whole lot to make them pay with either quarterback but with Levis in there, you're 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 giving that guy free reign when it's when it's not that short yardage situation when you're bringing in the extra offensive lineman that sort of thing. Um, I'd be I'm I'm going to be interested to hear what Franklin says about it because he didn't really address he wasn't really asked about it after the game. Um, I'm sure in more of a formal press conference setting it'll get more discussion um, on Tuesday this week and probably again on Wednesday um, at the post practice availability. Um, my guess is you're going to get a diplomatic kind of response about, you know, trying to keep both guys involved, you know, Levis deserves to play that sort of thing. Um, but I think in, in most, in those non short yard situations, um, other than when he came in at Nebraska and then started the, the Iowa game, he hasn't thrown the ball. Um, it's it's one thing when you're trying to get a yard or two. It's a whole other thing when you're trying to run an offensive series. And I think they put themselves behind the eight ball in a couple of situations, um, really starting late in the in the first half and especially into the second half. Um, kind of my I, I look at this game as almost kind of from an offensive standpoint, almost in in two different segments from the start of the game through the the seventeen nothing touchdown they were really able to do whatever they wanted on offense. Um, they, they threw the ball effectively. They ran the ball effectively. Um, it would have been 21, nothing. If um, I think we had a drop touchdown pass there, uh, or at least a, certainly a drop first down near the goal line. I think that was Parker Washington early. If my memory's right, I could be wrong. Um, 
and you know they were really you know doing whatever they wanted. And then Ford fumbled. They were fortunate to the defense came in and, and backed them up. I think 15 yards or so, forced the Rutgers punt, and they were backed up inside their own own 20 yard line and maybe inside the 10. And they just they were going to run out the clock there. I I almost don't have a problem with that. You know, given the field position, given how well they played, get to the get to the locker room at 17 nothing. What I have a problem with is they came back out in the second half and just continued more of that. Um, whether it was Levis or Clifford, they got so conservative, especially after they went up 20 to nothing after the, the Rutgers fumbled, they converted into the long stout field goal. The next drive was the interception, then punt, turnover on downs. They, that, then they had their one drive, which I think was keyed by a couple long runs um, where they got the, the 23-7 field goal. It just felt like, and I think part of this is is smart strategy in the sense of don't do anything that's going to allow Rutgers to get back into the game. You have this so in hand, but I think the other is, um, and, and Craig, you know, one of our editors and I had this discussion, um, I think it was on Sunday this weekend that you're two and five. This is kind of a, a practice season, if you will. I don't understand why you don't try and run more of your offense, get more of those reps, um, and you ha- and you trust your defense um, because you're putting so much on them at that point. Um, it's it's a an interesting division of the game there when you look at before the Ford fumble and after the Ford fumble how different they called the game in those two points. I'd be interested in seeing even just the run pass break breakdown, let alone quarterback run running back run break, breakdown because I think they got very comfortable and were more than more than okay with just punting the ball back to Rutgers and letting the defense. Um, just attack. So while you were talking, Matt, I decided to go uh, do a little digging. And this is shocking to me. Will Levis against Indiana. Uh, Penn State's offense against Indiana. 90 pl- 91 plays, Will Levis was quarterback for one of them. Against Ohio State, 62 plays, Will Levis was quarterback for one of them. Michigan, 79 plays, Will Levis was quarterback for six of them. Uh, and then Rutgers, uh, 79 plays. Will Levis was quarterback for 17 of them. So Levis, uh, he has, you know, he had the two games where he he was the guy, Iowa and Nebraska. Uh, all intents, like, he started those games. He Well, he started Iowa, came in the second half against Nebraska, like blah, 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 all that. There have been four Penn State games where Will Levis has had they've done the two quarterback thing to one extent or another. Will Levis has played 25 snaps in those games. Matt, how many times does Will Levis run the football on those 25 snaps? I'm going to guess 25. All 25 of them. So when Will Levis is in the football game, Penn State is giving away what it is doing. If Will Levis is playing quarterback for Penn State, he is taking a snap and he is running the football. There are some merit, like, merits to this. Uh, it's very hard to tackle Will Levis when he carries the football, for example. But I think that a lot of fans, and you know, I, I'm prone to doing this myself, will write this off as, oh, eventually, eventually, oh, you watch out, eventually they're going to do something. Like, they've ran it, they've put him in there for 25 plays, and he's ran it every time. 
maybe this isn't an eventually thing. Maybe this is just what Will Levis does. And I have a problem with that because I think that in order to be good on offense, you need to be able to make stuff happen. And it's very hard to make stuff happen when the other team knows what is coming. So, and that's not even to mention the fact that Sean Clifford has grown in confidence as a runner. Now, he's not ever going to be prime Michael Vick or anything like that. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that. But 81 carries this year, 276 yards, 3.4 yards per carry, two scores. 3.4 yards per carry is better than what Will Levis has done. Will Levis is at 3.2 yards per carry. Like Clifford's uh, game against Michigan, nine carries, 73 yards, uh, 20, uh, one touchdown. Uh, Will Levis's best game as a quarterback running the football was this past week, 1765 and no scores. Before that was Nebraska, 1861, no scores. Penn State's two best games by a quarterback running the football have been by Sean Clifford this year. There was that Michigan game, uh, and then against Indiana, 17-119 and a score. So it's just very weird to me. They're insistent, like, I get it in theory, and I'd probably be a little bit more uh, willing for them, you know, a little bit more understanding of them doing it, if not for the fact they have a guy in Kayvon Lee who I don't think, I think is very, very difficult to tackle, but their better running quarterback is Sean Clifford. Like, their better quarterback at getting the football and making something happen on the ground is Sean Clifford. And I like I just don't like what it does to the rhythm of the offense. I don't like how one-dimensional the offense becomes when you put Levis in there. So, what does that mean? Either one, I want them to start doing more stuff with Will Levis. I don't want it to be... Well, it was infuriating watching against Rutgers. Like you mentioned, Matt, Rutgers just... like They read the scouting report, and they noticed the trend continued throughout the game, and they went, all right, we're just going to sell out. When this guy is in the game, we are going to send safeties. We are going to send linebackers. We're going to send everyone we have, because we know he's not a threat to throw. Rutgers wasn't even trying to hide that they were blitzing. They were just having safeties come down to basically the line of scrimmage and be like, all right, I'm about to come try and tackle you now. And Levis just didn't do anything about it. Like, I think he's a talented dude. I think you could do stuff with him. I just want them to do more stuff with him, and I hate how uh, uncreative the offense gets when he checks into games. I just, I, I want them to just give Sean Clifford the reins if they think he is the guy, and I think that they are starting to believe that he is the guy, Matt. Um, last game uh, against Rutgers, second game in a row uh, after the Michigan game where he started, and was wholly unremarkable, but was wholly unremarkable in a good way. 15 for 22, 133 yards, uh, completed 68.2% of his passes, uh, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, I, the, I think the thing with Clifford, Matt, I don't always think they do him favors. I think he, I think he can be his own worst enemy plenty of times. But it seems like he's settled into being quarterback, and I know you don't like the phrase game manager, I have my quibbles with it as well, but it seems like as long as he is not turning the ball over, uh, which admittedly can be a 
can, can be a pretty big issue with him. He's the best option that Penn State has in the backfield, and I don't has under center, but behind center rather, and I don't think it's particularly close. No, I I don't think it is either. I think we saw that when when Levis got the start against against Iowa, um, and just you know nothing really was happening in offense. Um, I think Clifford's biggest, and I've talked about it a thousand times, is his biggest issue is remains. He's emotion's great. I think he lets his emotion kind of take over sometimes. And I think he's the ultimate example of a guy that the, the, the more he tries to do, the worse it gets. And I think when things aren't going right, he tries to do more and it just kind of snowballs on itself. And I think we saw that over the first three and a half, uh, four and a half, I guess, games of the year through the, um, the, the first half in Nebraska, I think, he's kind of settled back into what he is, at least at this point in his career. And that's a guy that, you know, if his first reads there, he can make it. Um, if his second reads there, he's probably going to try and run it. Um, there was one play in the first half where he was able to, um, I think he came to like a third or fourth option. And I, I commented in our slag about how shocking it was. Cause I don't think we've really seen that certainly not with any level of consistency, um, now, hopefully that's that's a sign of, of progress, but I think at this point in season where you're you week to week, you're you're spending time by and large game planning for the next week. I mean, that's kind of what he is at this point. Now, what happens with any potential bowl practices, or you know, what happens into 2021 is is anyone's guess. As um, you know, hopefully he's able to get more time with with Kirk Sharaka, you know, face to face and and starting to really become more of a, a well-rounded quarterback. Um, but I think because of those limitations, I think that's, I think there's a lack of trust for lack of a better term with the offensive coaching staff and James Franklin with both of their quarterbacks. I think they, they don't trust them to do much more than what they've seen. And at the end of the day, despite how bizarre this football season has been in so many ways, they're still trying to win football games. And I think they've, they've realized um, and Franklin was, you know, pretty, a pretty, um, you know, uh, direct about this in a press conference recently that this is kind of what they have to be at the moment. Um, and for all the, the talk of using this year to kind of grow and develop and, and learn what you've got, um, coaches still are wired to win football games. They're still paid to win football games. Players are, are wired to win football games. And I think, that balancing act of, of trying to win on Saturday at, well, at the same time, learning what you have is a really delicate balance. And I think that is a, as big a reason as any, why the offensive has kind of evolved to what it is at this point where it's, it's pretty basic. You know, we can sit here on Twitter and Slack and in our text threads with her buddies and predict what the next play is going to be. You know, it's, it's, this is kind of what the 2020 Penn state offense is. And you know, the question is, what is what is that next step if there is one? And you know, we'll have to wait and see on that. But I think it's, um, I'm I'm feeling better now than I was a couple of weeks ago, and, and winning certainly helps that. But I think seeing Clifford kind of settle into, um, you know, playing within himself, I think is as big of a de- development as any. Um, just because we haven't really seen that for his career as a starting quarterback. I go back to the Iowa game last year. 
Um, he came out and you could tell how jacked he was and the, the ball was just all over the place. And I think he's come out and he's, he's whatever he's done, he's found a way to play within himself, which I think is, is the step that one of several steps that needed to be taken. And, and that's the, the obvious big one that's happened. Absolutely. I, the entire thing with Clifford has always like, I think this was probably the case last season as well. He needs to not be his own worst enemy. And as long as he is not his own worst enemy, he's going to be okay. And progress is uh, the word for the last couple of weeks. And, you know, considering where he was at the beginning of this season, you know, had a couple of picks against Indiana, but was really good otherwise. Uh, and then just seemed to spiral, uh, had some counting stats, but didn't have uh, efficiency, wasn't particularly good at keep protecting the football. I'm glad that uh, it seems like he's starting to right the ship a little bit. And not, I, I'm not saying come out and be uh, Joe Burrow next season, uh, but just set a foundation uh, for a good 2000 and, uh, 2021 season, uh, whatever that ends up looking like. Uh, Matt, any final thoughts uh, on this game before we tie a bow on it and we wrap up with a couple of other things? No, I think this was um, you know a good a good next step. I think um, I went back and looked after the game, and the there, there was a lot of overlap um, in in a number of ways with a lot of Penn State Rutgers games the last probably three years now. Just ugly, you know. Rutgers knows that they're they're outmanned, and um, I think the difference was they they certainly played harder than we've seen recently, um, and they've they've been that all year with Greg Schiano. Um, but I think um, that first half, you know, where, where it really felt like Penn State was was running more of what their their day to day offense is, if you will, that felt like a huge positive step, and I think. Um, for better or worse, a lot of what happened after that was self-inflicted in a sense where that's just what they kind of wanted to be. You know, they were okay winning that game the way they won it. Um, and you're not going to beat the Ohio States and, and Wisconsin's and, you know, the elite teams of, and even the great teams of the world playing like that. Um, but I think with where Penn State is right now, like I said earlier, that's kind of what they need to be. Because um, the goal is still to win, win, win the game on Saturday, and to do that, that's kind of they're kind of doing what they need to do at this point. I agree. Uh, I, I'm the only only final thing I'd say is that yes, I agree that it felt like um, it, it certainly felt like they decided we're going to win this. We're we're not going to give Rutgers opportunities to win this football game. But I, I'd still love uh, just a penny for James Franklin's thoughts watching them play that game the way that they did uh, and play a few games the way that they have where he seems to believe, and again, I, I, I've mentioned before that I don't necessarily disagree with him on this, that big plays are something you really, really need to win football games. And I'm very interested um, in what he thinks about what this Penn State offense is right now where it's not that big plays aren't cru like aren't something they need in the offense. Big plays don't really exist in this offense. Uh at least not in the to the extent that we're using them. Like Parker Washington's touchdown 
uh, was a 29-yard reception. Uh, it did not feel like the what we kind of expect out of big plays. That was just a guy getting open and scampering into the end zone. It feels like this team kind of lacks the ability to throw that haymaker, even if I do agree with you on how they wanted to play that game. Uh, and, and essentially, I, again, just a, a curious thing, thought that I've had uh, that I'd like to know James Franklin's thoughts on. And then the other one is just like you mentioned, Matt, that, that Rutgers, uh, they play hard. They they play really, really hard. Uh, they have some, they're, they're I, 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 they should have beaten Michigan, but, you know, over the course of this season, it, I, they're another team that I think they really could have used an off-season and uh, not an off-season, a preseason, early season kind of slate thing. And uh, if they had that, I think they would have probably knocked off. They, they could have gotten an unexpected win in there. But good team. A uh, couple of dudes who I wouldn't have minded seeing in the blue and white. Uh, obviously, uh, former future Penn Stater Bo Melton at the top of that list. But yeah, good, uh, good little football team. Uh, we're... Heading in, Matt, to the most important week of the year, it's land-grant trophy week. Uh, Penn State going to be playing Michigan State this weekend. Uh, I don't... I I think you probably, uh, by nature of uh, your living situation, know more about Michigan State football (laughs) than I think most people, but I'm interested in this game insofar as... I'm really curious in how Penn State moves the ball and scores on Michigan State's defense, but I also think that if Penn State hits 21 points, they could very easily win this football game. So what are just, you know, we're not, we'll do a bigger, more in-depth pod end of the week, but uh, what are just some general thoughts you have uh, as we're getting ready to see Penn State uh, try and lift up the greatest trophy in uh, all of college football? Well, I think the most important thing is literally trying to lift the trophy. Um, you know, whoever wins this game has, has an arduous task of physically lifting the land grant trophy. That thing is enormous and heavy and, um, just physically unable of being lifted very much anyway, but I digress. Um, I think I have not watched as much Michigan state as you would suspect, as you would think with uh, being married to a Michigan state fan. But, um, I have been yelled at a couple times this fall for putting them on when things have not been going well. Um, I think they have kind of like Rutgers, I think they are, um, you know, they, they have a, a lot of talent has left East Lansing and um, towards the end of Mark D'Antonio's career, um, the, the talent that was coming in was a, a, a half step or more below the guys that they were losing to the NFL and, and otherwise. Um, but they play hard. I think they've found maybe something at quarterback with Peyton Thorne, who came in and looked pretty good against Ohio state in in relief of uh, Rocco Lombardi, who went out with, uh, I'm assuming, a concussion. Um, they you know, came out and, and really dominated that Northwestern game for, for long stretches. Um, it got close at the end before they pulled away late um, and, and somehow ended up winning by nine. I think it was a late touchdown um, on a lateral play or something that made it 29-20 instead of 23-20. But um, they play hard. They... Um, this is a game where I, I suspect they will be more than ready for because it's, it's Penn state and because it's the land grant trophy. Um, but I think they, their defense has been, um, as you would suspect with, you know, the, the way, uh, Mike, Dan, Mark D'Antonio recruited, um, they, they are more talented on the defensive side of the ball. I think their defensive line is, is very solid. I think they've got some good linebackers. They're secondary, um, which has been the case for a couple of years, I think is, is not the level it was for, 
um, those really great Michigan State teams of the mid mid decade. Um, but I think you're going to see Penn State challenged in a way, especially defensively. They haven't been really since Iowa, and Michigan State's not on Iowa's level. But um, between Michigan's issues and injuries on on defense and Rutgers' just you know general talent level, this is going to be the best defense by far that they've faced in a couple weeks. Um, and I think you're uh, from an offensive standpoint, I think you want to see Penn State's defense kind of build off what they've done over the last eight quarters, where they've given up just the 24 points um, and really seen the defensive line especially take over um, in the in the trenches up front. So um, not a gimme by any stretch, um, not that any of these games have really been, um, but I think it's um, a, a good measuring stick, I think, to see kind of where how things have progressed. I think this is a little different animal than, than a Michigan team that um, has kind of mailed it in on the season, especially with some of the injury situations that they're, they're dealing with and a Rutgers team that um, plays hard, but it's just, you know, out of 14 teams in the big 10 talent wise, they just don't match up with just about any of them. Michigan state plays hard. And I think they have a little bit more talent than, than Rutgers. So you're going to see, see both sides of the ball. I think, pushed in a, in a way they haven't been for you know, really for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, Michigan state, obviously the counting stats aren't everything, but they're one, two, three, four, seventh in the big 10 in uh, defensive yards allowed per game uh, tied with Michigan for second to last in points per game. Uh, but they are 17th nationally in defensive SP plus 81st overall in SP plus 120th in offense. Uh, they, What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, can't run at all. Um, they're the worst scoring offense at the Big Ten at 17 a game. Worst, a second to worst rushing offense at 95.2 yards per game. Uh, they're middle of the pack in passing offense and uh, last in total offense. So, like you mentioned, going to be a really interesting uh, matchup for Penn State. Just in. J- just because like Michigan state is uh, they're bad in a way that is different from how Michigan and Rutgers are bad in that they're actually good at something in the midst of being really bad. So uh, yeah, I I think the two games they've won, they've won by, by playing good football. I think Rutgers, not that Rutgers hasn't, but I think Rutgers, um, you know, turned the ball over seven times against Michigan state in that opening week. Um, and then the Purdue game, they kind of, um, you know, just throwing caution to the wind to come back in that game. Michigan State beat Northwestern by being better than them. They beat Michigan by being the better team. Um, and I think, and they did it with with solid play on both sides of the ball. And I think that's, um, you know, in in so many words, different than than what both Michigan and Rutgers have, have done to this point. I thought you were lying. Seven turnovers against Rutgers. My And they were like, God. I think a lot of them were in the first half, too, if you were to go back. They lost count. five fumbles. Give me a second. Let me, I, I, I have to go look and see. Um, oh, no, uh, ESP, um, they don't have, oh, wait, no, here we go. They put six on the deck and Rutgers recovered five of them. That is Amazing! My somewhere goodness. our 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 mutual friend Kevin Rudy is yeah. yelling fumble luck into the abyss. God Almighty! Uh, yeah, 
heart goes out to every everyone everyone who watched that game, regardless of whether or not you're a Spartan. So heart goes out to you, I suppose, Matt. Um, uh, we did not watch. That was one of those games ah. where I was yelled at to turn the TV off. <laughs> or at least change the channel. So let's end uh, on a positive note. Uh, we're recording this on Monday evening, which means we are recording it uh, a few hours after Penn State's recruiting class uh, in the class of 2021 picked up its latest commit uh, three slash four star wide receiver out of Pike Road, Alabama. Harrison Wallace, six foot one, one eighty, uh, was formerly committed to Duke. Flipped his commitment to Penn State on uh, on Monday. Uh, Matt, I haven't watched a ton of this kid's football highlights, which is a very important qualifier to put on this for reasons that you will get into. But what's what's a, the skinny on Harrison Wallace, uh, and what kind of role do you think he is going to fit in Penn State's uh, Penn State's receiver room? I think he's he's a weird combination of a few different guys that they've brought in in the last year or two. Um, I see a little bit of Keandre Lambert Smith in him, you know, the similar builds, especially at this point in their, their high school careers. Um, I see a little bit of, uh, Malik Maiga, um, the kid from, from Canada. He's not as big as him, but I think what the two things that both those guys have that I see with Wallace is just that raw athleticism. And you mentioned you've not watched a whole lot of his football highlights. I think you see it that athleticism a lot more in the three or four uh, Twitter videos that are out there of him on the basketball floor. The kid can jump out of the gym. Um, and I think what's exciting to me is um, one, he got a lot better from, from last year to this year. Um, he's your, your prototypical late riser. Um, and this year is, is really bizarre because not everyone's playing football in the fall. So um, you're not necessarily you know, comparing apples to apples. But um, um, giving me a second here to pull up his um, his recruiting timeline because he's just blown up in the last really six weeks. Um, his the first entry on his twenty four seven sports uh, timeline is his Duke offer back in mid October, um, where he committed to them four days later. He was offered by South Carolina about the same time too, around a bunch of um, either FCS or Group of Five programs. But then starting on, on November 18th when Penn State offered, Maryland offered the same day, as did Houston. Um, Tennessee actually just offered today on Monday, um, just you know, literally hours before he committed to Penn State. Um, so he's, he's certainly got the attention of a lot of people. Hey, I'm going to sneeze here for a second. Uh, maybe. but um, I'm not yeah. editing that out. No, I, I, everyone knows that feeling where you feel the tickle in your nose, but I digress. Um, he, he had um, close to 30 catches this year, about 700 yards receiving, seven or eight touchdowns. Um, he is not a guy that's going to come in and play right away. Um, I think partially because of what Penn State's been able to do at wide receiver this year, there's not the obvious opening. And partially he's just he's not, nece- he's not going to be ready. He's not going to um, enroll until the summer, I don't believe. Um, so he's not going to get that early start like a guy like, like Lambert Smith got this year that gave him a little bit of a heads up or a head start. Um, what's really exciting to me is he's six one one eighty. He looks like a guy that is able to add plenty of strength 
and we've seen it with Dwight Galt for seven years now almost with anyone who's gone through his strength program, they are able to add that strength without affecting the speed and athleticism. Um, and I, I feel like he's a guy that as he gets more and more experience, gets into that college level weight program, is going to add some speed, is certainly going to maintain the athleticism he does, if does not add to it. That's kind of been a theme for a lot of those those elite athletes that Penn State's brought in, is they've they've been able to add, and Dwight Galt talk, talks about this with like a little little glint in his eye, where those guys, you know, you know, Mike Kosicki, you know, adds an inch or two to his vertical jump, or Saquon Barkley adds, you know, half a tenth to his forty time. You know, for guys that come in at that elite level already, adding little bits of increases like that is is huge and then he's a guy you know with that vertical jump for example that feels like he's gonna you know add a little bit to what's already a, a really athletic uh, athletic body and i think too the other thing that um that i think is worth noting is six months ago at wide receiver it was kind of a mm-hmm. you know you know complete panic with uh caden prather and jaleel farouk and um dante thornton you know the three maryland kids that penn state was all um at one point or another was leading for all of them um they have i don't even want to call it salvage i think they've got three really good players liam clifford um is kind of the forgotten man he's a four star on on 247 um you know kind of a parker washington kind of player a little bit bigger um, but a guy that Penn State staff has just loved for a year and a half now since they got him on campus for camp. Um, and, you know, so he, he's, he kind of adds that reliable slot guy. And then um, Lonnie White is a guy that um, every time he goes in the field just gets better. Um, Brian Doan from 24-7 just raves about him the couple of times that he's been able to go see him play in person. Now he's been able to, to focus exclusively on wide receiver after playing quarterback. And now a guy like, like Wallace that has, you know, really opened a lot of eyes all over the country this year um, in a weird year where you're not getting out to evaluate these guys in person. Um, it feels like it's not as um, can't miss in a sense as those three guys I mentioned at the top that were all much more highly regarded. But I think if you were actually looking, I think Lonnie White is actually ranked higher, um, at least on 24-7's rankings than Thornton was. Um, I think he's the if he's not the highest ranked of those that 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 early trio from Maryland, he's he's real close to Farouk. So um, Taylor Stubblefield there's, deserves a lot of credit for for finding these guys and, and landing them. I think the play of guys like Parker Washington, a little bit we've seen from Lambert Smith, and the evolution of of um, of Dodson, I think he deserves a lot of credit for a hire that I think was um, questioned at best if not um, you know, outright despised by a lot of fans at the time, has really at least through you know eight or nine months now really um, proven pretty valuable both on the field. And I think the recruiting has um, been, been the surprising element, especially as we watch what these guys do going forward. Yo, uh, just for the record, uh, White is exactly one spot on 24-7's uh, rankings ahead of Dante Thornton. So that's an uh, interesting little uh, note there and one just uh some other uh notables uh he is at nine thornton at 10 uh number 20 marvin harrison jr number 23 uh farouk and then uh you know you keep going down a little you run into harrison wallace you run into liam clifford who 24 7 both of whom 24 7 is a little higher on uh and then caden prather so uh 
funny how it worked out, and, you know, kind of just generally, Matt, uh, while you were talking there, all I could think about, Clifford, White, and Wallace are all good players to one, uh, one extent or another. Uh, you look a little bit farther down the pipeline, uh, and Penn State has two more four-star receivers coming in, uh, Kane Saunders and Anthony Ivey. Uh, you look at the room right now, Parker Washington, uh, definitely, and Keandre Lambert-Smith very likely uh, are guys that are going to turn into some sort of reliable contributors. All of a sudden, like, you were mentioning wide receiver recruiting, uh, rightly so, having some concerns about it. How about just the wide receiver room in general? Uh, coming into the season, we knew Penn State had Jahan Dotson. We thought he was going to be pretty good. We weren't sure exactly how good he was going to be. And then what's Cam Sullivan Brown? What's Daniel George? What's TJ Jones? Can the freshman contribute? Oh, God, John Dunmore left. Uh, like, legitimately coming into this season, I could have made the case that the worst room on Penn State's roster by a mile was the wide receiver room, and that has ended up turning into, uh, you know, we're going to be doing uh, this podcast after the Big Ten Championship game in uh, 2023 and talking about how stacked Penn State's wide receiver room is because they've really recruited it well. They've really done a good job getting talent in there. And, you know, uh, Wallace is just the latest example uh, of how Penn State's loading up in the receiver room. And uh, I, my very, very, you know, just what I've read on him, I believe, Matt, I compared him to a worse Henry Ruggs. Um, and listen, that is by no way, shape, or form a knock on him. If he turns into a worse Henry Ruggs, I will, you know, I will become a Har- the biggest Harrison Wallace fan you've ever met. But yeah, I, if, it's... If he runs a four two seven at the Combine, then... Um... Or, or you know, what? if he runs a four three seven at the combine, I think we'll 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 be uh, thrilled with what he's he will have done between uh, then and his arrival at Penn State. Absolutely, uh, yeah, I, I think that's any everything. Any uh, any final things you want to add about any Penn State athletic thing? Uh, we're we're not talking basketball because I don't want to. I have not watched the basketball team yet this year, so I am I am pleasantly. Uh, uh, Un- unaware of just about everything going on with uh, the fighting Jim fairies. So let's, uh, let's say this. You, even if you have not seen Penn state basketball this season, uh, you saw Penn state basketball's loss to Seton Hall last night. Uh, all I have to say, everyone who has ever seen a Penn state basketball game knows exactly what I mean. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on any of uh, the chat, various podcasts and channels where you can find it. If you head over to Apple podcasts, leave us uh, a five-star review. Uh, make sure you keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to go out and buy some shirts. Uh, make sure you're keeping an eye on us and all of our various social media channels. Uh, one last time. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions radio. For my co-host Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. <laughs>